So for people who are worried about uh, facial recognition or I guess their face being recorded without their consent, do you have any advice for them or is there nothing they can really do to protect themselves against something like this? Yeah, become a juggler or furry or something like that. Hello and welcome to the Security Tools Podcast. Today we have our guest Vic who's going to talk with us through some of the results we got while trying to defeat facial recognition. Thank you, Vic, for joining us. And can you tell us a little bit why you know about facial recognition? Hey, thanks for having me. So my name's Vic Harkness. I'm a UK-based researcher slash security consultant. And in a previous life, I worked for the Ministry of Defence and I spent some time looking at facial recognition systems while I was there. And in support of that, I spent a lot of time reading about facial recognition and facial detection systems and how to defeat them. So we first met at DEF CON, and we did an interview where we asked you about some ideas in defeating facial recognition. And we also asked you about where facial recognition is nowadays, and I was pretty surprised to hear the different places that might be adopting it, and how the data that comes out of this might be sold. And actually, since we last spoke, I found a news article that was basically implicating a couple of grocery stores, or actually no, I think they were department stores, in selling data about um, loss prevention targets. So people that were stealing from the stores, uh, basically selling their facial information in order to identify shoplifters or people likely to shoplift. So it's pretty interesting that some of the sources you mentioned would probably be rolling out facial recognition have actually been in the news since then. But for people who aren't aware of it, can you explain where the average person might expect to encounter facial recognition now and maybe in the next five years? So facial recognition right now, the hip application for it is unlocking your phone, unlocking your laptop, but it's becoming more prevalent within society. So there's CCTV systems everywhere already. We're kind of used to seeing them now, but increasingly they're using um, facial recognition and facial detection systems within those. Within the US and the UK, it's not too prevalent yet, although the UK has recently had some high-profile trials um, within London. In other countries, they've got facial detection systems, which they use for crime prevention. So they'll have a system that's set up with, that's been trained on a database of, say, you know, wanted suspects in um, criminal investigations. And if one of the people that they're wanting to detect walks by, it'll flag an alert and a policeman will go and intercept them and talk to them. Hopefully manually verify that it's the correct person. But that seems to be a bit of an extreme example. In the UK and the US, that's not really been happening so much. Something that you are seeing occasionally is shops that are using it to try and work out what kind of demographics are visiting their stores. There's apparently in some stores, they'll have camera systems near the um, checkouts, which will try and work out, you know, are you a white female age 20 to 30? Okay, we're going to show you an advert for baby stuff now because that might be what you're interested in. It kind of depends on where the money is really, where people are applying the technology. So having it to unlock your phone, it's very cool. It helps to sell stuff quite a lot. Um, But for use in advertising, there's quite a lot of money to be made. Law enforcement, if you can get law enforcement forces to pay for it, then there's quite a bit of money to be made. I think the technology is generally just following the money at this point. Interesting. So when this kind of information is captured about someone, it's capturing their face, for example, how is that information actually stored? So it would be impractical to store everyone's face. 
because uh, when you're doing comparisons, just the com computational complexity of comparing a photo you've just taken to, you know, thousands and thousands of photos that you've got stored, it would be very impractical. So there's two main ways they can store the faces, I, neither of which really lets you recover the initial facial data, which is good on for a security point of view. So the first way is that they'll do some, they'll kind of quantify your face almost. They'll measure the distance between certain key points within your face to work out just the difference and metrics of various facial dimorphisms. And they'll come up with this big array of numbers that, although it's a large array of numbers, it's fairly computationally simple to compare it to another array of numbers. Um, the other way that they'll do it is they'll use these things called eigenfaces or Fisher faces which are kind of the general concept of a face. If you, you can Google image search for eigenface and you'll find it. They're kind of like these creepy pseudo faces. Yeah, so with eigenfaces, you've got a this image that's kind of the general concept of a face. So if you just do a Google image search for eigenface or Fisher face, you'll see them. But basically, people look kind of like these eigenfaces because they've got the general concepts of the face. So if you have a person who you've just seen walking by, person A, they might, when compared to the eigenfaces that are associated with your data set, you might find that person A looks 10% like one eigenface, 20% like eigen, the second eigenface, and a minus 5% like the third eigenface, 90% like the fourth eigenface. And if you search for your database and you've already got a person enrolled in your system that looks 10% like the first eigenface, 20% like the second eigenface, minus... 5% like the third eigenface, 80% like the fourth eigenface, might be the same person, might not, depends on your thresholds, but it lets you kind of generally compare the person that you're hoping to match with your detection set with your set without having to directly compare the photographs each in individual time. So basically, it's breaking it down into a generalized abstraction of a person's face and storing the minimum amount of data it needs to in order to efficiently compare different um, representations of someone's face that are more or less identifiable depending on your threshold. Is that a pretty good summary? Yeah, it's a good summary. You don't want to store all of the data because it's just too much storage space. It would be computationally complex to do all the comparisons. And although it's probably not intentional, it's good for security that you can't recover the initial facial data from the data set. So one thing that you could do, however, is maybe share these eigenfaces with another person operating a camera and sell it as maybe a database of people who have been caught stealing at your store and use it as like a risk uh, mitigation strategy at another store to maybe detect shoplifters before they steal something and flag them. I mean, potentially, yeah, you could use that. Um, it probably depends a little bit on the exact implementation you've got, you know, because there's different nuances for different cameras, different processing systems, different algorithms. But if you had two stores that had identical setups, you could in theory share data between the two and still be able to make use of it. Well, I find that interesting because a lot of what goes into facial recognition is automating something that needs to be highly accurate uh, in a lot of applications in order to do a good job. But there's also a lot of ways to start throwing these systems off and cause them to basically have so much margin of error that they're no longer useful. Um, can you explain some examples of how everyday things might mess up a facial recognition system? Um, do you mean like adversarial examples or just kind of nudging machine learning models? Well, I would say like ways that people might accidentally break facial recognition by uh, like maybe making it challenging for the face to be identified in the first place or or maybe being misidentified as another person. Yeah, so with facial detection systems, they perform best when everything's very controlled. 
So the person that's being compared or enrolled, it's a direct you know, direct to their face photograph. It's all in good light conditions. You know, there's no shadows. The person has their face fully observable. There's no areas blocked. There's no glasses. There's no heavy makeup. But the real world doesn't work like that. There's always obfuscations on the face. It's never the perfect angle. There's always something causing issues with your uh, enrollment system. So these people can abuse this kind of stuff to deliberately dodge facial detection systems. The most obvious would be, you know, putting your T-shirt over your head because it can't see you. But you can go for more subtle methods. So some people have been looking at um, things like glasses, which can throw off facial detection systems. And you've got the work of people like Adam Harvey, who have created hair and makeup styles, which are designed to deliberately cause a face to no longer be detected as a face. And people play around with this stuff in the real world. Some have success, some don't. But it's possible that you could accidentally end up looking more like someone if just, you know, by happenstance. I mean, if you happen to do your makeup in a different way, which happened to perhaps be very specific to a different person, it could be that that could cause the system to misclassify you as someone else. Or maybe someone had a distinct facial tattoo and then you decided to go get that exact facial tattoo for whatever reason. That could cause the system to misclassify you. It's an extreme example, but... Could I just as an example, print out a high definition photo of someone's face, strap it to a bucket and then put that bucket on my face and then defeat some types of facial recognition. I mean, I feel like this actual in-person security guard would probably question the bucket on your head. (laughs) Possibly be able to see something was up. Yeah, that's why it's important to have a human operator. But yeah, potentially that could work for the system. It depends on if it If it was just a static facial detection system in a shop, it's probably not going to be doing any fancy liveliness checking. So, yeah, just wearing a mask would probably work. All right. Well, you can do the the facial tattoo. I'm going to do the bucket. But either way, it seems like there are some pretty standard things that could mess up facial recognition, at least on maybe a more basic level. Now, the hardware behind these systems is also really interesting because in the test setup that we ended up doing, which was inspired by some of your ideas... Um, we used two different types of facial recognition. We meant to use three. We were going to use a microcontroller-based recognition system, which is the ESP WHO system. Um, we're using a facial detection uh, Python library. Uh, I think it's just called Face Detect or something like that. And uh, we were also going to use um, either Amazon Recognition or Microsoft Azure's facial detection platform. But we were having a bit of a, a hard time setting it up, and we were ready to shoot, so we just kind of went for it. Um, but there's kind of a lot of different levels in how sophisticated you can get. Um, we were able to effectively defeat the microcontroller-based system by you know, tilting our head all the way to one side, and suddenly it couldn't see us anymore. But when it came to the Amazon recognition system, or maybe it was the Azure system that we did the demo on, it was able to extract like very precise age and demographic information where I could literally give it a photo and tell when I took it by how old it said I was in the photo which is pretty alarming how much information you can extract when you have the horsepower behind it to kind of like dig in a little bit further. How is that even possible? I mean, doing things like demographic, it's fairly simple for it to work out your demographic based on the image. But things like age, there's a lot of different things they can look for. So visual wrinkles. The computer isn't quite looking for age in the same way that we are. You know, for a human, you maybe look at someone's hands and go, oh, they've they've got a lot of veins. Or you might look and say, oh, they've got crow's feet by their eyes. That means they're old. Whereas the computers don't think like we do. They can't reason. So they would just form generalizations based on the images. 
So this is something that can cause unconscious biases to leak into image rec image classification, facial recognition systems, because we don't really know what they're training on. So Janelle Shane's done a bit of research of um, playing around with the Azure um, object recognition system and feeding it kind of non-standard images. So she noticed that when you feed it a picture of a mountainside, pretty much consistently, one of the tags it comes up with is sheep because all of the images of sheep it's been trained on is sheep on a mountainside, sheep in a field. So it doesn't quite know what the sheep are. It It's just learnt kind of that sort of picture probably is sheep. So she tried giving it a picture of um, sheep which have been dyed orange. I don't know why they've been dyed orange, but they had. And suddenly the object recognition system says orange flowers in a field because it's got no, it's not seen that before. And she did this blog post where she was having great fun with it. She had pictures of goats in trees, which it thought were birds, um, a child holding a goat, which it thought was a dog, because how often are children holding dogs, uh, sorry, holding goats, pictures of goats in the back of a car, which again, it thought were dogs, because generally you got dogs in a car, but not a goat. I like uploading pictures of uh, peaches to like basic uh, recognition systems, because it always thinks it's nudity. <laughs> I don't know why. It just does. Like uh, I'm, I'm, the more sophisticated ones know what it is, but on basic stuff, it's like flag for adult content. And it's just like a stock image of peaches. Yeah, it's. I think it's the color and the curves, perhaps. There's that famous... Um, yeah, I think the color and the curves are dirty. It doesn't... The computer hates it. There was that infamous um, porn filter someone tried making some big company, can't remember who. They tried doing um, object recognition to detect porn and it just kept um, flagging sand dunes porn. <laughs> That's amazing. So we're... We're, we're probably still safe for a while. I mean, it's getting pretty good, but like there are still some exceptions that are wacky and make no sense. So and I, I imagine facial recognition is no exception where there's going to be some things that just confuse it that make no sense, such as, as you pointed out in our first talk, um, just turning your head to the side can really, really confuse a lot of low-level facial recognition systems that don't have the horsepower behind it to be able to figure out that a face could be tilted. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it is largely depending on how complex you want it to be. You know, you could just automatically rotate the image through 90 degrees and try it again every single frame if you really wanted. And that might catch people who've turned their heads. But, you know, most of the time people aren't going to be doing that. So do you really want to go for the increase in computational power to catch out those few people that are going to turn their heads? Yeah, and that's exactly how I feel like we were able to figure out that there was a big break between the Python one, which obviously was rotating it and doing some extra stuff to to try to recognize people's faces that were not uh, just straight up and down, and the microcontroller one, which you know took an uh, I think a set of three or four images and used those three or four images uh, to try to find the face. Now, if I if I moved my face a lot in those three or four images, I found that overall detection was worse, but generalized detection was better. So on those limited resources, I really kind of had a, a trade-off to play with. I could be really specific and get really good facial distinction between myself and someone else uh, in, in a perfect scenario, or I could get pretty good general detection of myself, but it would misidentify me as someone else occasionally. So say you had a secret military base and you have a facial detection system to detect people trying to break in. You might decide that you, know, you absolutely don't want anyone getting past it. So if it occasionally flags up a cat walking by or maybe a moth flying by for some reason happens to look like a face and it flags it to a human operator, that might be a lot more preferable than setting the threshold lower and not having it trigger on random, you know, accidental faces, but that could make it easier for a person to get past. 
And I think a good example when trying to deploy these wide scale is in China. I think you mentioned last time an example of a Chinese actress whose face was on a movie poster getting a ton of jaywalking tickets because her poster was on a bus that kept going by cameras that were set up to detect jaywalkers. Yeah, and it's the kind of thing when you're developing these systems you don't really think about because why why would you? you know, we can't consider all these like million different scenarios that might occur. So you get these weird interactions sometimes. And uh, now I think we get to the part where everyone who wants to hide from these systems is really interested. Uh, what are the ways of hiding from facial recognition? And I was going to say, aside from wearing a mask, but it seems like recently with the pandemic in China breaking the way that they were doing facial recognition, there have actually been some breakthroughs in being able to detect unique faces with uh, a mask on, although it kind of seems like they already were doing this in response to people wearing masks uh, at protests. Yeah, so being able to detect, detect people with masks on is a very interesting problem, especially given the current events. A study I was looking at was a hospital. Um, they had doors to, I think it was, um, I think it was for storage closets that contained like controlled substances. So they had these facial detection systems on them that would try and identify the face of the person that was trying to get in. And if they were the correct doctor or nurse, it would let them into the room. But now everyone's wearing these, um, the face masks, the half face ones. So they've done some work on their system and now it can detect people correctly, even if they're wearing a mask. But they did say that that is kind of limited application. There's something like 2000 people enrolled in that system. So it can detect all those people. Whereas if you had a general population data set of, you know, millions and millions of people, it would probably be a lot harder to actually work out a viable system. But when you've only got a pick out of 2000 people, it's a bit easier, I think, because there's so many fewer people you've got to try and match to. There's way less chance of two people that look sort of enough alike to, you know, accidentally get a match. Yeah, well, it seems like it's getting harder and harder to hide from these systems because they're able to work with less and less data in order to... Uh, observe someone and figure out who they are. I, I mean, I know some of the other technologies like gaint recognition are also getting better and better at recognizing people, even if their faces aren't visible. Yeah, so gaint analysis is an interesting one. It's not the best if you had, say, a crowd of thousands of thousands of people that you've got enrolled and you want to pick out an individual person, but it's kind of used in multimodal biometrics a little bit. Yeah, you can use it to try and match with other things so you've got a person that you think it might be this person based on facial data but it they they're walking nothing like them it's kind of hard to hide your gait you can deliberately put on a limp or that sort of thing but a lot of these systems can see through that it also gets used a bit in um, detecting kind of the mood of a person so in an airport they or in various airports they've been using it to try and work um, detect terrorists because they're likely to have very nervous body language. And 99% of the time, they're probably just a nervous flyer. But it can give you just a flag that you can use to kind of... It'll help identify people that it might be worth talking to or following up in some other way to try and, you know, work out what's going on. So I used to wonder about something like this back when I worked in security, because I worked at a large music venue, and I could immediately spot suspicious body language. Um, Just... By the way, someone was standing and looking around left, right, directly at me before doing something. Or if a bunch of people were moving aggressively towards each other, or if there was a, a, a big swell in the crowd towards a specific point in the room, those were things that were super obvious to a human. And I was always wondering kind of if a, a machine would be able to recognize those same signs of a fight about to happen 
or somebody about to do something they knew uh, they should check and be sneaky about first, which to me means they're probably going to do something that they would get kicked out if I caught them for. So uh, I, I think that those would actually be pretty interesting ways of just investigating situations before they get worse. But are there privacy implications with that sort of technology where you start adding ways of uniquely identifying someone like, you know, their gait to their face, to maybe their voice, uh, to maybe a wireless signal uh, from their cell phone? Like suddenly that's a lot of information and a lot of ways to uniquely identify an individual person. Yeah, I think that there are um, like privacy implications once you start to combine the data and build up these images because say like the kind of metrics data of someone's face, you couldn't work out too much from that. But say you had someone's phone and they had their fingerprint data and their facial data, you, you've got both of those now. Say they've used some other system with their fingerprint and they've also used voice recognition on that. Perhaps you can get a voice print from that. And you can just combine all these things up and get a pretty good idea of a person, I suppose, or a pretty good a pretty good set of metrics surrounding a person. And then you might be able to do some de-anonymization, perhaps. I'm not entirely sure on how much de-anonymization you can do from the stored data on facial images. I suppose in theory you could probably do some stuff to try and work out, um, say, ethnicity. Because there are, you know, it, it's not just a matter of skin colour. There are also facial dimorphisms with different races, different genders. So you could, in theory, try and work out someone's gender or race based on that data. I don't know if that's true for fingerprints or gates. Those aren't my areas, but who knows? Yeah, it's just it's really interesting to me um, that you know all these things are developing a fingerprint of a person. And that data can be basically used to identify them across like all sorts of different platforms in a way that they really don't have any control over. It's it's just interesting that now we're making this data taggable. We're making it machine readable. So, you know, if you get someone's voice print, suddenly, you know, anytime they speak in a video, if you have enough processing power and you're able to go through enough haystacks, you can find, you know, every needle that's that person's uh, video that they were in or a person they were affiliated with. And you can start to dig up information that would have been impossible to find until that information was machine readable. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely um, interesting for the implications of cyber stalking. Uh, there was a website someone made a while ago, which was designed to try and mash events data together. So say you wanted data on, I don't know, a festival that took place at this time and date, you could go on the search engine and it would look through like Twitter, public Facebook posts, Google Plus, as it was back in the day, all that sort of data. And it would pull any data that was in that geographic region at that sort of time. So in theory, you could then take it a step further. And then with those kind of limited data that you've acquired from there, you could then do facial detection or something similar. So yeah, just the amount of data, there's so much you can do with it, really. Well, another example I can put up is I one time I was exploring a storm drain tunnel and there was a graffiti artist who threatened a friend of mine. Um, and in order to figure out who that person was, it was pretty simple because they had a name that was spray painted everywhere to look up an event that they had been interviewed at where they didn't show their face, but they did speak out loud and, and assert that they were the artists who they said they were and that they like to spray paint a whole bunch and a bunch of other personal things about themselves. But they weren't the only person at that event. There were also other people who take who took pictures and tagged the event. And there were full face pictures of this person um, that were taken by everybody else who attended. 
So it was really easy to get a image of the person that had threatened us. And then from there, there's a number of different search engines that will just search through all these different things. And it was able to locate a whole bunch of other images of that person just because there are search engines out there that can do facial matching, or at least attempt to after they've indexed an image. So it's getting to the point where once you identify a person's face, you can find them across the internet using some of the resources that are available. Yeah, but it's not entirely a new thing. Someone I was talking to, he did YouTube videos for a bit with some success. He had someone commented on one of his videos asking a question. Um, it was a video that he just filmed in his backyard. And the guy asked a question, but he didn't, I can't remember if he didn't notice the question or what, but he didn't respond to the guy. And he sat at work like a few weeks later and he gets this phone call uh, and it's the guy who'd left the question on YouTube asking, why didn't you respond to me? And it turns out the guy had like, he'd looked at the background of the image. He'd worked out roughly, I think there was some landmark in the background. He'd worked out roughly what kind of area they must have been at from to get that angle on the landmark. He'd then gone on Google Images. He'd looked at all the trees everyone had in their yards and the type of fence and all that to work out which yard it was. Based on that, he'd got an address. He'd called up some kind of land registry company to find the name associated with that. He'd then done a bit of research to find out what company they worked at. And then he'd managed to get their desk phone number from that and was calling him to ask why he hadn't responded to his YouTube comment. Well, he certainly earned his response. I hope I hope he got his explanation in full. I think he was too stunned to really respond in any meaningful manner, but... Oh my god. Yeah, no, either either a, a full explanation or a restraining order. I guess it depends on if it keeps happening. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he heard from the guy again, but he uh, took down his YouTube channel after that, so... <laughs> wow. Okay, well, I'll have to be careful. So there are a couple ways that you mentioned to defeat facial, facial recognition that kind of surprised me. Uh, some of them were based on makeup, and some of them were just based on blocking off specific parts of the face that seem to be important to the way that the machine is able to recognize the face in the first place. Can you explain why these things work and what kinds of maybe makeup-based techniques will work against some types of facial recognition? So something that a lot of these um, counter-surveillance techniques aim to do is mess with the light and dark balances in your face. So when you consider your face, you've got it's a lot of areas of light and dark. So your forehead tends to be light, your cheeks are light, your chin is light, bridge of your nose is light. Um, they reflect, you know, humans are greasy, greasy creatures. We reflect the light that shined on us. So they naturally appear bright to canvas. And you've got darker areas like your mouth, underside of your nose, your eyes. Um, so the facial detection systems, I don't want to say they consider the face in terms of these light and dark balances. But a lot of the time, I think in some of their models, they do make assumptions about light and dark balances. A lot of these systems, neural network based systems, it's so hard to work out exactly what they're doing, exactly what neurons are firing based on what. It's very hard to say exactly what they're doing, but generally light and dark balances in the face seem to be really important to these neural network based facial detection and recognition systems. So if you can deliberately make a light area dark or a dark, dark area light, that can cause a lot of the systems to misclassify. And that's something that a lot of the hair and makeup styles aim to do. They'll cover regions of the face which are key in detection. So like the very top of the bridge of your nose where it's like in between your eyes. For some, I don't entirely understand why, but for some reason that region is important for a lot of facial detection systems. They ground a lot of their um, metrics on it. So if you cover that region, they struggle. But a lot of them do tend to mess with the light and dark styles. You'll see that with Adam Harvey's work a lot. 
So on the cheeks, he's got these dark patches. He's made the lips light. He's kind of gone for the opposite of traditional makeup, where traditionally you make your eyes dark, your eyes look darker by putting mascara and eyeliner on. You make your lips look darker. Yeah, you make it. He's just kind of gone for the opposite of it, really. And you know, there's been some success with that. Well, when we tried it, it looked like uh, kind of an inverted spray tan. Uh, we had our production assistant just get all weird with like the dark parts of his face done like super dark burnt orange and then the light pa- the lights parts of it, it was just totally inverted it looked really strange but what was cool was that the uh the microcontroller based recognition system was totally unable to recognize him and then the python one was able to detect him but still had a really hard time recognizing him as who he was so it was cool that such a simple change would actually defeat these kind of basic systems although i suspect that they would probably not do as well against a more advanced system like amazon recognition or the azure based facial recognition systems yeah i mean it's kind of a very well-known technique at this point so i would be shocked if uh, the developers aren't starting to try and counter it in some way. Yeah, it also is extremely conspicuous. You look like an absolute crazy person in that makeup. Uh, it is not subtle. You look like you kind of look like a, a a drag queen that had a really hard night and was like rubbing the ma- the orange makeup right in the middle. It's just not a. It's, oh, it's 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 quite a look. It's very dramatic. I will say that. So if you if you can rock that, then congratulations. Against very basic basic facial recognition, you will be able to breeze right by. But maybe like a hot mess wig or, or something like that. Like I don't know what would be able to pull that makeup off, but it's rough. It looks rough. Um, most of the techniques we tried actually looked rough, except uh, for some of the chunkier glasses that cover that area of the face you mentioned. We were able we were able to just kind of stick something on the glasses that covered up the majority of that part of your face, just where uh, your nose and eyes kind of all come together. And that was enough to make it really difficult for even the Python script to be able to detect a face. Yeah, I think a lot of the time you kind of want to go for like a multimodal approach. So covering the bridge of your nose, but also doing the inverted color, also trying not to look directly at cameras. You know, just combine and layer your defenses, I think probably works best. What's interesting here is also we're looking for blind spots in a very simple neural network. So we have this like very kind of fragile logic, fragile logic model, and we're kind of poking around and trying to find areas where we can confuse it by presenting it with models that break its little logic structure. So it's kind of interesting the way we have to work these out because it's it a lot of this is neural network uh, stuff that's actually powering the recognition. So if you can figure out where the logic that's been built by this little neural network is vulnerable, you can start to poke some holes in the way it figures things out. And that's a pretty different way of like hacking than I kind of considered when I first got into hacking, because you're kind of figuring out the way this baby intelligence works and then just confusing it deliberately. Yes, there's a lot of different ways that people can do that. I read an interesting but very technical approach to doing it, which was, um, well, they described it as giving the neural network brain damage they would basically selectively delete neurons and see what effect it had on the processing power. And if they found that deleting a given neuron didn't really mess with the reliability of their system, then they'd just leave it out. Whereas if they found that it did mess with things, they'd you know, put it back in. And eventually they were able to... It was an object recognition system, not a facial detection system. But eventually they ended up with this neural network that could classify things fairly well. But it was actually a fairly simplistic network just because of the severe brain damage they'd given it. So based on an approach like that, you could, in theory, work out 
you know, which neurons are the most um, used. And based on that, you could potentially work out what exactly that neuron is firing on. But that's a very difficult thing to do. It's kind of much easier to just fuzz the system by just showing it a whole bunch of different pictures, just showing it a whole bunch of different things. Uh, like with um, what we mentioned earlier, the um, celebrity in China who got the jaywalking tickets because her face was on the side of a bus. You can't really anticipate that. It's the kind of thing that you just discover on accident almost by just trying the system out in a million different applications and locations and just seeing what happens. Well, what's fascinating to me about this as well is the fact that you're or people are attacking us on two different levels. You have like the behavior level where you're you're trying to present like a paradox to the system that its logic can't handle. And then you have almost the biological level where you're doing the same kind of like knockout studies that people used to do with genetics in order to figure out how a machine came to the conclusion that it came to just by being presented lots and lots and lots of examples. So it's kind of cool that when you're attacking systems like this, you're kind of attacking the brain behind the system. And there's a lot of ways of doing that between trying to figure out the, the holes and the logic that it's using to recognize someone and also just going through it and figuring out how the actual connection works and exploring it from a physical level, which seems to be much more advanced and difficult. Yeah, yeah, that's um, something that's a bit beyond me, but yeah, maybe one day. Yeah, so super cool. But aside from that, there were some other things that ended up working, uh, the most famous of which is the insane clown posse makeup. Um, thanks to our mutual friend Ian's discovery while he was, uh, I think, working on training some uh, facial detection networks. Uh, can you explain why uh, the ICP makeup seems to be so good at defeating facial recognition? So Juggalo makeup, traditionally a lot of black and white on the face. And I'm interested, did you try it with Kiss makeup as well? No, we stuck to the Juggalo makeup. We even got some Fago um, in order to really like get in the spirit. Um, you, did you know RT, like Russia Today, like or uh, they interviewed Ian about this. It was so it was such a big deal that the Juggalos were like the immune to the security culture. So no, we we focus exclusively on Juggalos, mostly because Ian is very insistent on um, keeping this a Juggalo specific study. But no, we didn't try Kiss makeup. We're, we're gonna have to try that next time. Also furries, yeah, furries have sorted it out as well. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, my first experience with uh, people defeating facial recognition and making a splash was at my first DEF CON, where the only people who were allowed to wear masks were the furries, because it would violate their rights otherwise. So they were allowed to go all over the casino with a mask on, um, whereas nobody else was. And all the creepy information that the uh, <laughs> that the casino was, was collecting on everybody else, the furries were able to, you know, go and go wherever they wanted as they please and probably even swap out the uh, the suits if they wanted to, to just smuggle people from place to place beneath the watching eyes of the cameras. So in the future, the fursuits might be the only way to move vulnerable people from place to place away from the eyes of the camera. So, you know, in a crisis, you know where to look. That should be the last resort, though. I mean, uh, Vegas in August, I would not want to be wearing that much. Right. It would be very hot. It would be very, very hot in there. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so aside from the fursuits and aside from the uh, from the kiss makeup, uh, I think there were a couple other results we had. One we mentioned was tilting the head to the side. Uh, and I think one thing that our makeup artist suggested was distorting the T-line of the person's face. So we, uh, or actually you might have recommended that as well. So we did a little bit of makeup that created a false T-line. 
um, that basically uh, altered it so that the the recognition system wasn't able to line everything up. So it seemed as though when it had identified where the brow was supposed to be and then couldn't find any of the other things that were within a reasonable distance of where the brow was supposed to be, it, it messed up the system and it wasn't able to recognize the, our person's face even when we removed a substantial amount of the makeup. Yeah, I think it depends on what kind of algorithms in use. So neural networks, I think, are a bit more resilient to that, whereas things like um, convolutional neural networks, stuff like uh, Viola Jones, I think the algorithm's called. that. One. Um, but they tend to be a lot more... They go across the image and they have certain expectations about where features are positioned. So if you can mess with that, it throws off all their calculations. So I think we also tried, we had a box of disguises that have the the old school, like the big nose with the mustache and the glasses. Uh, And it it did a pretty good job with some of them. It seems like sunglasses, uh, even big wacky glasses are not enough uh, to throw off the system. But when you start obfuscating things like the nose and have like maybe a big bushy fake mustache hiding like the points of, of the mouth, um, that's when things start to get more interesting. Yeah, I mean, the eyes tend to be dark regions anyway. But yeah, so that's partly why sunglasses don't work so well. But with a lot of the makeup-based um, systems, they tend to be designed to give you plausible deniability. So if you're wearing like the fake nose and the fake glasses and stuff and you walk through a police checkpoint, they're going to be like, oh, just take it off. Don't don't be an idiot. Whereas if you've just got weird makeup, they might just think you're a hipster and, you know, wave you through. Yeah, and also it's a, it's a lot more work to make someone take off their weird hipster makeup than it is to just take off like a, a wonky, like disguised pair of sunglasses. Yeah, it's just not, it, it's just trying to not outwardly appear like you're trying to defeat the system because that's likely to draw the attention of the human operators and, you know, you'll get yourself in trouble that way. Oh, right. So another thing I just remembered was you also recommended trying something like scratching your face or bringing a dark object like a glove on your hand up to trick the camera into seeing what should be a light portion of your face as a dark portion. That we found actually did work pretty well on the microcontroller, but it wasn't able to consistently fool the uh, Python-based one, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. But it did seem to be effective at at least beating simple models that were just expecting the lights and the darks to be in a certain place. Yeah, I mean, it does. I would not be surprised if these systems aren't, or the programmers of these systems aren't starting to take into account people messing with light and dark balances a little bit. But again, it is application specific. Yeah, it might have been that one didn't put too much weight in cheeks being light. Who knows? So the disadvantage of a lot of these techniques that do work is that they're super obvious. Uh, it's pretty clear that you're either a weirdo or like something else is going on with you when you're deploying pretty much any of these techniques. So one that I was really interested in testing but didn't get a chance to because I destroyed a bunch of LEDs doing so is hiding infrared LEDs and trying to mess with cameras that are using infrared light in order to get better like depth information. Now my Pixel 4 um, actually projects a grid of uh, infrared dots on my face in order to like detect depth before letting me in. So I can't just hold up a photo of myself and have it admit me. Another thing we did find that wasn't too crazy is having other faces that are less obscure than your face by or near your face. So we just popped a picture of some lady who had mailed me like a very negative attack on another candidate uh, in my district. Uh, and I cut out her face and I stuck it on the side of a pair of glasses and it could it preferentially recognized her face over my face. And having a bunch of faces seemed to confuse the system even more, uh, especially when my face was like tilted a little bit or otherwise not presented as, as clearly as theirs. Yeah, it's an issue that some systems can have that they'll only detect the first X faces they see, which you know could just be one face. 
So if there's multiple faces, then decoy faces can you know, cause it to not detect you anymore. But again, you look kind of obvious if you've got a face stuck to your glasses. Although there was that phase people went through of like the Nicolas Cage t-shirts with all of the Nicolas Cage faces on them. So maybe that'll work. Yeah, yeah. I figure if you just had, I've seen people wearing uh, clothing that is just a bunch of license plates to confuse the license plate trackers every time they cross the street. So maybe if you just had a, like a hoodie that was just like tons of different people's faces at different orientations, you would just uh, register a whole bunch of faces all the time everywhere you went. Yeah, it could be, could be a fun trial. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. That actually sounds like fun. But yeah, so I really wanted to try the infrared stuff. Can you tell me uh, why it is helpful for using infrared and how people have tried to defeat infrared-based systems? So like you said, with a lot of the systems, you can't just hold up a 2D image of a person. Whereas with infrared systems, they can do some depth mapping. And that just adds an extra layer of protection. If you've got like a 2D image of a face, it'll be like, nah, that's 2D, I'm not accepting it. So just make it detect only 3D models. Um, you can, of course, defeat that. There was, um, a, there's a company in the UK called NCC who did a little bit of research on this. They made this, uh, I think it was 3D printed, plastic model of someone in the office's head called um, Matty. And I, I only remember that because they called the project Matty McMattface. And they were able to defeat... Um, they're able to defeat infrared-based uh, facial detection systems with the Matty McMatt face because it was a you know 3D face. So it worked well on that front. So if you could calculate enough of someone's face to create a 3D printed version, you could probably still get through an infrared system. Yeah, but it's a bit more difficult, isn't it? I mean, I think there are systems that will let you create a face model based on a few images taken from different sides. One of my friends at university, he took a bunch of photos of his house and then he fed it into some software that created like a 3D render of it. So that's almost certainly ones for faces nowadays. So one of the things we wanted to try doing to defeat infrared was just having a hat that was lined with LEDs pointing down, just kind of illuminating a person's face. Do you think that would have actually worked had I not destroyed all the LEDs in the process? So there was a paper that I talked about in my DEF CON talk where it was um, people trying to masquerade as each other using infrared lights. So they had they did a bit of um, preliminary trials with a normal facial detection system, and they worked out who looked sort of like who, because uh, they found that it didn't their system didn't really work if you looked nothing like the target. But if you looked sort of kind of like them anyway, they had some success. So they would get a... I can't remember the exact um, methodologies, but they would generate like um, they would use the principle of adversarial examples to uh, create these kind of Im to create splotches like these bright purple splotches over a 2D image of a face to try and fool the classification system. And based on where they worked out splotches would need to be on their face to masquerade as another person. They then created a baseball cap that had infrared LEDs on it that shone the lights onto their face in the exact positions that the um, system had told them to. And based on that, they were able to masquerade as the target quite well. Wow. So sometimes it's not about completely evading detection. It's just being, you know, both detected and recognized as a different person. Yeah, being able to masquerade as someone else is really interesting, but it's quite complex to do you might be better to make a Matty McMatt face instead <laughs> 
So it's also interesting to note that there are really two processes that are being defeated here. One of them is recognition, where it has to take your face and match it to another person's face. And the other is detection, where it just detects that there's a face to process in the first place. So some of these attacks are directed towards recognition, and some of them are detected actually just towards detection. But both are pretty good at actually steering the system away from recognizing who you are individually. Yeah, you kind of need to have detection before you can have recognition, really, because you need to detect where the face is before you can try and map it or match it. Sorry. So for people who are worried about uh, facial recognition or I guess their face being recorded without their consent, do you have any advice for them? Or is there nothing they can really do to protect themselves against something like this? Unless they want to commit to the juggalo lifestyle. Yeah, become a juggalo or furry or something like that. I mean, with regards to recording, you can't really stop it. You know, there's CCTV everywhere. You're going to be recorded. Most of the time, nothing's going to happen with that recording. But it only takes one human operator to overrule all of this anti-surveillance stuff. So it's you can't really protect yourself too much unless you're avoiding systems, deliberately not looking at them, wearing a baseball cap to try and stop the cameras from getting a good view of your face. I mean, in some stores, they've they put TV screens right by the entrance next to the CCTV cameras because people kind of instinctively look at them. And that means that you look directly at the camera so they can get a nice clear image of your face. Some shops apparently have flashing lights that draw attention to do that. So, you know, ignoring that sort of thing. Um, with regards to defeating... Not falling into the trap of enrolling yourself. Yeah, there's um, all these things like Face App, I think it's called. That app where if you put your face on it, it tells you what you look like if you are old. And you know, who knows where the data from that's ending up. Um, I mean, people have been trying this um, defeating facial detection with makeup in the wild. There was an article about um, a group of people in Russia who'd got arrested whilst trying to dodge facial detection systems. And um, I, I don't think they did a very good job of the makeup, because if you look at it, they just put like some white circles or white triangles on their cheeks. And it's like, that doesn't work. That's that's not how this works. But I mean, people are trying to do it. Um, people are trying to see how realistic it is. And you can have some success with it but uh, i'm gonna get i'm just thinking i'm gonna get yelled at by someone i met at a conference up at avate university she's um very into defeating facial detection systems and she's very uh anti the makeup to defeat systems and i think she's currently doing a dissertation on it but yeah she uh, told me off for saying that you can defeat facial detection systems with makeup but nope i'm, I'm saying you can do it a little bit i'm not saying it's perfect i'm saying it's 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 a good thing. It's it's not the worst. You can you can do some stuff with it. So we had after the last DEFCON, we had kind of talked about doing a surveillance village, and one of the things we talked about was also doing a crawler that would go through social media and find a post from anybody who was tweeting about the event and basically scrape their Twitter for photos, enroll them, and then do basic facial recognition. So that scared me because it was our idea. So I'm sure someone else has already thought of it. And I immediately changed uh, my profile pictures on many of my accounts to pictures from uh, this fa- this person does not exist.com. Do you think that that is at all helpful uh, for people who are worried about maybe their online stuff being linked to their face if they are otherwise using a picture of their face as their uh, profile photo? I mean, if you had your facial picture on there before, then, you know. You're pretty, it's pretty much done. Yeah. If, if from the start, you go for, you do that and you go for good sanitization like good information um sanitization and uh i forgot the word my brain is not working <laughs> it's okay keeping your accounts uh separated and sanitized i guess yeah if 
if you upload pictures of yourself and then suddenly decide you don't want pictures of yourself on there, you delete them, they're still going to be out on there. So I went to a talk at um, B-Sides Texas and I cannot remember the name of the company, but they'd come up with this um, system that was designed to help law enforcement by kind of linking up all the little bits of metadata available on it. And they were using um, Dread Pirate Robert, it's um, Ross Ulbrich, as an example in it. And they, because he eventually got caught because he'd been posting on some forum and he was using like his Dread Pirate Robert's email address on that forum and that forum had like his real name on it. And it was just the reuse of email addresses that let them tie stuff together. But with the system they were demonstrating, they were proving that, you know, you could have worked, they reckoned that law enforcement could have found the match way quicker because he'd previously, I think their system did some like, it did a lot of um, just looking at metadata and looking at like, they've got this Yahoo account, it's associated with this email address, but that account is also associated with this email address, so you can link those two. This username's been used with the separate email address, so you can probably link up those usernames. So if any one of those had an image, a facial image, you could in theory then link it through to something on the other end of the chain, which in theory is completely separate, but just because there's all these little tied points to it, you know, you can just work out the chains. Like you've signed into the same into different accounts from the same machine and an IP address links them. Yeah, there's just so many ways you can link up the information. Some places have even been doing things like um, text analysis to work out um, like kind of the pattern of text. Not quite the pattern of speech, but when it's typed, you can work out. They've been doing that to try and de-anonymize um, the guy who invented Bitcoin, um, because apparently there was um, some other guy who's wrote a very influential paper on Bitcoin. And based on all the analysis of all of the initial posts of the guy who created Bitcoin and this guy, they reckon that, you know, they, they write in the exact same way. So they reckon it probably is this guy. So you can just kind of link up all these things based on the metadata that people are providing. It's kind of scary. Yeah, it seems like there's an increasing amount of data points that can all be tied together. And now that faces are kind of machine readable and machine taggable, that's becoming another link to information. Once you're able to distinguish someone from a photo or from a video camera, it's really limitless in terms of like what you can find if you're able to do the same thing crawling the internet and turning through all these weird uh, kind of like tenuous links that would take a person a really long time to discover. Yeah, just the power of automation makes it way more simple to do all this sort of stuff. And also just, yeah, it would normally be take a hell of a lot of computational processing, but nowadays so easy to get the compute power you need. Well, we were doing this on an ESP32 cam, which cost $5. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Whereas like 20 years ago, that would have taken like, you know, however much. <laughs> like an entire <laughs> half of a warehouse. Well, yeah, there's that big thing about like NASA went to the moon with a computer that's less powerful than your mobile phone. So Yeah, man. So thank you so much for explaining all this because... A lot of people don't understand the way this sort of thing works, and they also don't understand why some of these supposed methods of facial recognition defeating uh, techniques just don't work or work kind of sporadically. It seems like there are a lot of ways that people can implement this, and depending on how they've chosen to, they can either have a ton of infrastructure behind it and be, be trying to extrapolate things like age, race, gender, and other metadata as well as recognition, or they could be doing something very simple on a microcontroller that could be defeated with something as simple as rotating your face to the side. Yeah, I mean, it's really dangerous if people can use these sort of systems to de-anonymize people, um, especially with... Uh... Things like machine learning systems, there's a lot of accidental biases that get implemented into these systems. And 
it's all very well you strip out like race and gender from metadata but if you can if you're collecting sufficient data that you could kind of infer those anyway then a machine learning model might then start to categorize people based on race even if it doesn't explicitly know their races so it's it's a very difficult problem to solve and it's kind of something that needs to be solved right and these things also only know the information that's presented to them yeah so there was the case of um it was an automatic recruitment system where they didn't they were getting bored of just having random applicants they were looking for like the ceo of their company or some you know executive level um employee so they had the ai or machine learning based system that would try and only show the job to people that it thought would be a good fit for it and to work out who it thought would be a good fit, they trained it on like the CVs and the metrics of all of their existing executives. But it turns out they only really had white males there. So it was only showing the job advert to white males. And, you know, so women aren't even given the, op- like women weren't even being given the opportunity to apply for the job because they were never seeing the job in the first place. So it's kind of perpetuating, you know, biases and stereotypes that might already exist, even without explicit, you know, no one explicitly said, oh, we want this to only advertise to white males. It was just because it was generalizing on the data it had. It was perpetuating, you know, biases that might have already existed. Right. So someone who fails to uh, basically give the same amount of training time to different faces that they're going to be detecting. You know, if you're in a place where people all kind of look the same, you might never think to train your facial recognition model on something other than that, which would give you pretty serious limitations if you were ever to deal with a more diverse population. Yeah, I mean, when I was playing around with camera systems, I just used images of myself when I was testing stuff out because, you know, I'm here. It's it's easy to use images of myself. I don't have to worry about data protection and stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of other people take that approach, just, you know, use pictures of themselves or their friends and family. And if you all happen to look the same, then the system's going to be biased towards whatever you look like. Well, thank you so much for walking us through all of this. Um, If people wanted to see that DEF CON talk that you mentioned, how would they keep up with that? Um, They can't because it was a Sky talk, so they're not recorded. No. All right. Well, I guess what would be the best way of keeping up with you and any research that you have going on? I know that you're more into cars now, but uh, still. Yeah, um, I'm Vic Harkness on Twitter. I honestly mainly shitpost. So um, don't follow me with expectations of learning lots and lots. It's just me sharing pictures of dogs and weird stuff. But yeah, most recently I've been into um, uh, connected and autonomous vehicles. There's this idea in the, uh, well, around the world, but also in the UK, that we're going to, in the future, there's going to be autonomous cars, there's going to be connected cars. And to support this, we're going to have these intelligent roadways where all the cars will be pinging data off to the roadside units. There's going to be CCTV systems that are pinging data across. And these roadside units can do some basic processing to work out like, oh, well, there's a traffic jam ahead, so we should lower the speed limits now. Or potentially, even with autonomous vehicles, they might, you know, deliberately or sorry, directly command the car to slow down. Um, It's all hypothetical right now, but there's a lot of different technological proposals. And over in the US, you've got like your DSRC, I think it's called, whereas in the UK, they've proposed at the UK and Europe, they propose these CAM and Denim protocols. And there's just a lot of kind of proposed tech, but they've not really considered how it's all going to fit together. So I've been recently working on a white paper on just you know, examining how the security of the entire model is going to fit together, which should be coming out soon. It's currently in like all of the going through all the quality assurance phases, so it should be coming out soon. 
Hey, that's super cool. Well, when it comes out, we'll have to have you back to explain how we can <laughs> poke some holes in these roadways of the future. Oh, thankfully, it's all hypothetical right now, because uh, I found that most of the standards say um, security will occur at another layer, or security is out of scope of this document. But when every single one says that, that's kind of a bad thing. So the security is theoretically perfect. Yeah, it's it's a there's there's a lot of interesting bugs in there, and they've um been they've been doing some weird stuff with existing technology to make it kind of fit what they want it to do, which is I think will lead to some interesting bugs. But also the new technological proposals, they've just not really considered the security of stuff, which is kind of a bad idea. Although I guess you know they've not built it anyway. It's good that they're asking for security advice at this point before they build anything. Yeah. No, I think that's a good idea. Better to have it uh, them asking questions now than after the first release. And I mean, you've got image recognition and oh, sorry, image detection and object recognition on cars anyway. I read an interesting study of someone who just got a projector and was projecting images of people onto the road and was causing autonomous vehicles to emergency stop. So I saw that. I saw that. And I saw other instances of people modifying uh, road signs with just a piece of tape or changing it just a little bit in order to make the car slow down or speed up because it looked close enough. But yeah, it's fascinating that now image recognition and, and video recognition is, is something that is becoming vital to even just being able to get from point A to point B when you're talking about autonomous vehicles. Yeah, so there you go. Going back to your earlier question, that's another example of where people might encounter it in the real world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Being able to detect a person and not hit them or maybe being able to do recognition and only hitting specific people would be an interesting application in the future. Yeah, you got the trolley problem, haven't you? There's that MIT um, moral machine where you've got to decide who you think you should die in a collision. It's just going to be that in the real world. Oh my god, it just queries your credit score and then comes back with an answer. I think that was one of the things that they worked out on the application was people didn't like poor people. <laughs> oh my god. It literally gives you like um, people, it, it'll be like a picture of a pregnant person and a picture of like, um, I don't know, a bank robber with the sack with the dollar sign on it. And you've got to decide who the car should run over and they'll, you know, they'll save the pregnant woman. Uh, it's just, it's a whole thing. It's kind of interesting to play around with because it tells you eventually how people decided. And there seems to be a subsection who just prize like dogs and cats over anything else. <laughs> so if we have those people programming the cars, there's going to be a lot of very safe animals, a lot of horrific accidents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bias. It's all about bias. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the Security Tools podcast. I hope we can have you back on to talk more about autonomous cars and breaking those too. But if uh, people want to follow you, I hope they follow you on Twitter. I'll try to tweet out some more links to relevant stuff uh, based on what we talked about. We can't release the video yet because it's coming up on Hack 5, but hopefully they'll be releasing it maybe later this month. So if you want to see what we were talking about and see live examples of uh, Vic explaining our way through us trying to hack some facial recognition systems, check out the Hack 5 YouTube channel. And yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. So if you want to support the Security Tools podcast, make sure to check out one of the Verona Cyber Attack workshops and check out some of our other broadcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.